Hey everybody, welcome back into your latest episode of Locked on Suns, a Locked on Podcast Network. Today's always your host, Evan Siren, joined by co-host Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at EastSirenFallBurn on Twitter at BrendanClean14. This far on Locked on Suns, your page you haven't already at Locked on PHX Suns. Your support is very much appreciated as always. And I also want to remind you guys, you're now ready to go over to BuiltBar.com, use our promo code LOCKEDON, get $10 off your first box of Built Bars. Well, like we talked about all throughout the last few weeks here on the show. I think it's the best tasting protein bar, and compared to other competition, seven times fewer carbs, seven times fewer sugar grams, and more protein than Clip Bars. And it really, taste-wise, too, is a lot better than the others on the market there. So go and take advantage, too, of their new flavors that we've talked about, chocolate chip cookie dough, mango, and peach cobbler. Get all that free with our promo code locked on for $10 our first order there. So go to BuiltBar.com. We appreciate them sponsoring today's show as our primary sponsor. But let's dive in, Brennan, into today's show because... We finally have some Suns news, and that's really not much to hit on, but a very interesting almost like what-if scenario that could have went down and really caused a huge domino effect on this franchise. Yeah, perfect timing for us doing what-ifs this whole week. I'm getting to talk about this one, which Jason Tatum gave a a little gift to us by going on uh, All the Smoke, the the Matt Barnes, Stephen Jackson podcast, and basically – um, putting an, a new spotlight on the 2017 draft, which, you know, we've heard the stories for plenty of time now, even at the time that Josh Jackson canceled his workout with Boston, basically orchestrated arriving in Phoenix. Ryan McDonough sort of joked about it at Jackson's introductory press conference, but, um, now we have Jason Tatum kind of saying something similar, which was when he came and met with Earl Watson, he basically fell in love with with the town, really liked Earl and got along with him, and was was pretty much dead set on on picking or going to the Suns at number four that year. And uh, it wasn't until basically Robert Sarver stepped in, as Earl Watson added on Twitter, that the whole thing unraveled. Yeah, and it's really interesting, too, like how Tatum was talking about it. it seemed like he fell in love with it. And when you overall you look at this, just from a, a domino effect standpoint, like a hit on, I think if Jason Tatum is on the Suns here, Brian, I, I don't know, of course, just with the wins and losses and how impatient Robert Sarver was back then, if Watson still stays around for an extra year or two. But I feel like trying to go after Jason Tatum, if he does land with the Phoenix Suns at four, let's say Josh Jackson goes to Boston at three, I think that actually extends Earl Watson's time in Phoenix, wouldn't it? Tough to say, you know, um, I think, like you said, it's impossible to tell exactly what happens down the line with an individual player's trajectory. Like Tatum didn't really break out until this year, but he's basically stepped into the league as a a good role player, a good shot creator. Would he have done that if if he was on a Suns team that, that needed him to have the ball in his hands and basically the the entire pressure of a rebuild on him. I don't know. You know, no one can know. But, you know, if, if things are different, I, I'd obviously think Tatum's a more talented and dedicated player than Jackson. So at the very least, you'd expect that little bump to happen. At the end of the day, though, I mean, Watson, I believe Watson. Like, I believe what Earl's saying here. It's not the first time we've heard a story about Robert Sarver stepping in at a time that that wasn't probably the, the best time to to be involved in the franchise's decision making. 
but that doesn't change the fact to me that that Earl Watson was not a great coach, was very overmatched leading an NBA team so early in his career. And, you know, if he was going to win games, I think he would have won them either way. He, he, he probably deserved to go at that time. Yeah, I kind of imagine we saw Josh Jackson go one-on-one against Blake Griffin at power forward opening night when the Clippers smashed out the Suns in Los Angeles. I, I can't imagine what Jason Tatum, even, even a rookie Jason Tatum day one, would have been going against Blake Griffin. I imagine it would have been the exact same story where Tatum's playing small ball forward there and really getting his lunch taken away most often by guys like Griffin and others. Yeah, no Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, right? You know, it's like... Yes, Tatum looked pretty great and and trustworthy right away, but to me it's it's sort of hard to envision any sort of version of that happening in Phoenix, which honestly to me, you know, it makes it interesting to hear Tatum's perspective overall because it just to me like it shows how short-sighted I guess or maybe narrow, narrow-minded, I don't know, these young guys heading into the draft can be. Like, Boston was a better situation for Tatum, no doubt, and he still wasn't convinced of it. Didn't really think he had the same vibe with Brad Stevens that he had with Earl Watson. Didn't feel like the city was as good of a fit for him and on down the line. It's funny because I think any outsider would look at that situation and say, if I was getting drafted, of course I would want to go to the Celtics, but Tatum being in the position to kind of choose his own fate. It didn't, uh, it didn't, it didn't uh, appear to him that way. It's, it's kind of crazy. He says coach K basically had to call him and convince him to even go to Boston to do the, the, uh, the workout. Yeah, that's what's crazy about it too. Just I feel like also this is the one positive thing I, I've really noticed when we covered Earl Watson in our first year together, and he went away after the first few games of 2018. But he is a very much a player's coach. I mean, he whatever the players wanted, he would give them encouragement and more. I mean, I remember his last press conference there, he compared Marquise Christian, Marty Stoudemire, and the next day he was gone. So he really does help pump up his guys. And I think from a just a player standpoint, I feel like playing for Earl Watson and like, he's going to get one of the guys. So to say, Brandon, I feel like when we were covering Earl Watson, like he, he was a coach, but he was also like your best friend. Sure. And that, you know, that's why it's completely believable to me that a guy like Tatum, who, you know, the, the thing about Tatum too here is this is a guy who has basically been a famous basketball player since he was a teenager. He was uh, a very, very highly touted recruit from a city that doesn't have a ton of those in St. Louis was the Gatorade player of the year was, you know, obviously a player at the most prestigious basketball school in the country. And then goes to one of the NBA's most prolific franchises. This is a guy who I think could see not himself necessarily, you know, Earl is a role player and not nearly the level of fame, but he's a guy who went to UCLA played in the NBA for a long time, knows basketball, knows this business. That's not a surprise at all. And like you said, personality-wise, he's he's perfectly – you couldn't pick a guy who can and will relate to players for you better than Watson. It's just the, all, all the other stuff, which is why when you ask, like, if Jackson goes to Boston and Tatum comes here, whatever the, the layout of the draft would have been, um, you know – would would Watson have had a longer leash? Would he have won games quicker and not gotten fired? I kind of think no, because the Jackson situation was really just one of many 
problems with the way that, that Watson managed this team, uh, the TJ Warren situation, the way he balanced those two guys, pumping up Marquise Chris the way he did, the, the botching of how they were going to handle Dragon Bender's rookie season, and on down the line. There were many mistakes made. So I don't think Watson's path changes, but we can get into a couple of the other parts of this that maybe guys who would have been positively impacted even though Watson's the guy kind of defending himself here, I think other guys actually might've made out better if this reality had, had taken hold. But before we do that, a quick break to remind you one more time about Bilt Bar. Their whole thing here is that it tastes like a candy bar. And I feel like that might sound a hard to believe or B okay. There's no way it's healthy, but the reality is it's actually both. It is believable. It is incredibly true and it's still very healthy. The way that they do it is, I mean, they have a whole range of flavors here. So they have some chocolate nut flavors, whether that's toffee or uh, peanut butter, which was a really good one, literally tasted like a Snickers, or some fruit and um, generic. They have like a double chocolate or they have a raspberry chocolate. So the flavoring and the combinations is part of what makes it taste incredible. But then only 20 Uh, Only 170 calories for the peanut butter, only 110 for the mint, which is another nut-free option. Uh, So they're they're not intended to be like this gargantuan meal replacement thing. It's great for the health-conscious person, the person who may be trying to lose or maintain weight but get a little bit of a treat. It's it's really intended to be that more so than like these chalky, huge, what am I doing here types of things that you get shoved in your face at you know, a gym or something. They're really tasty. They're very healthy and they're not too overwhelming. If you want to take advantage, go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on. That's all one word to get $10 off your first order. One more time, use the promo code locked on at checkout for $10 off your first order at builtbar.com. So I hinted at a couple of the guys who I think maybe do look a little bit better in hindsight if things go this way with Tatum ending up in Phoenix like he says he wanted to initially and Jackson in Boston, which I think was pretty likely if if Tatum doesn't agree to go work out for the Celtics or just sort of signals he's not interested, I think the the Celtics probably pulled the trigger on Jackson because we know they wanted him. To me, the the first guy that comes to mind that that ends that makes out better in this version of events it's Ryan McDonough because that would have been the right pick. We can argue about if Tatum would have been quite this good, but I think now we have three years to say Tatum is a better player than Josh Jackson. And, you know, that probably means the team looks a lot better, even if it's not the same sort of success story we saw Tatum have in Boston. Yeah, definitely agree with you there. I think the long-term standing of the team is definitely a lot higher just with what what's happened with Tatum's career compared to Josh Jackson. But I think an interesting point, I know we're going to hit on this in the next time here, but I just wanted to tease it for a second because the infrastructure, I know you go from Boston, who I think is one of the most well-run organizations in the NBA, to at the time in 2017, the Phoenix Suns, who are in the middle of constant coaching changes, in the middle of constant rumors around the NBA about how they're run. And it just seems like a chaotic environment. I know Dragon Bender mentioned that before outside of Phoenix in an interview a couple months ago. A lot of former Suns, Alex Lynn, of course, talked about in the show last summer. A lot of players leave Phoenix believing that, at least under the former regime, that they didn't have really much of a chance to develop like they should have. And 
that makes me wondrous as far as how Tatum would have gone. Like, do you think Josh Jackson would reach his ceiling in Boston? Like, I wonder if Jason Tatum would have been like the Josh Jackson version of himself in Phoenix, just based off that infrastructure. Because I know, based off what we've seen so far, Tim could have been like a Devin Booker type player who just thrives in a chaotic environment and keeps developing. But I think it's a wild creator, just how chaotic it was, Brennan, in Phoenix for the last few years. I don't think Tatum looks as good as he did this year so quickly before the end of his rookie contract. I just think he had such a perfect infrastructure around him where he didn't have to do too much too quickly. And I think that's sort of the, the constant among the flameouts that the Suns have had to deal with, which is, you know, you had games that first season for Jackson where he's, he's taking 20, 30 shots, playing 40 minutes defending everybody under the sun from Marcus Hull to, you know, Russell Westbrook. And uh, it's, I think it was obvious in that moment that that wasn't ideal. So that part of the Tatum story was never going to work out in quite the same way in Phoenix. But I do think what you said, comparing him to Devin Booker is exactly where my mind kind of gets to. I think that Tatum is a guy who was better built to succeed in any environment than Jackson. You know, I said that I think Tatum's a better player. I also think Tatum's just a, a more dedicated professional, more dedicated teammate. All this, the, the stuff we know is really the difference that separates these guys that you, you were right to note Booker clearly has. I don't know if Tatum compared to Booker, what that sort of thing looks like, you know, this is very much like in these guys' brains, but you don't get to be a guy that people are talking about as one of the 10 best players in the league in your third NBA season without a lot of that, no matter where you land. Yes, Boston was an awesome situation for Tatum, but I mean, he surpassed that. And I I really tend to feel like he would have surpassed the terrible circumstances in Phoenix as well. And it makes you think, just looking into this angle more with Jason Tatum, and if it actually would have happened in Phoenix, what do you think happens in 2018, Vernon? Because, of course, I don't think with Tatum – he, I think he improves his sons by at least a win or two over Josh Jackson 2017. He put up – Jax put up some good numbers in the second half of his rookie year, but it was a lot of garbage time and a lot of blowout losses. I feel like Tatum at least maybe wins you an extra few games more than Jackson because he's more NBA-ready product in year one. Maybe the Suns do not land DeAndre. Maybe they go ahead and pull a trigger on like a Triple J or a Wendell Carter. Maybe that infrastructure – I know Aiden definitely has developed rapidly under Monty Williams here, but I feel like it's very intriguing to think about the possibility of a big three involving Booker, Tatum, and maybe Triple J. Well, unfortunately, I think we know the answer, which is, you know, who knows how the rest of the draft falls in that sort of reality. But I don't think the Suns really liked Jaron Jackson. I think more likely is if the if they're a little bit maybe third or fourth in that year's lottery with Tatum injecting some winning basketball in there, they probably get a guy like Marvin Bagley, right? Or yeah, yeah. Shea Gilgis Alexander, maybe. That those are two of the guys we know they liked that year even more than Jaron Jackson or or Trey Young. Although, you know, there's also a chance that maybe if they fall and they don't even have the chance to take Aiton, maybe they do end up with Luca. Maybe maybe that's the the arithmetic they were doing is we we like Aiton better than Luca, but maybe Maybe Mav- maybe the Mavs don't get to make that trade. Maybe it's the Suns that take a longer look at Doncic in that situation. Yeah, that would have been – oh, wow. Could you imagine that? Just like a super Hydra backcourt. Luka, Booker, Tatum. Yeah, we'd have a championship team right here. Yeah. Yeah, that would be an absolute insanity. And the rabbit hole you can go down with this is just so interesting because 
what do you think overall? Like, obviously, looking back on now, of course, Tatum helps improve his team ceiling in the short and long term. But how close the Suns are from where they're trying to be now? Of course, they're they're on their way to winning 30 games in 2020 before the season stopped due to coronavirus. But do you think the Suns are maybe closer to that eight seed bubble that we've seen Memphis at now, maybe above that? How do you think it goes with Tatum in place of Josh Jackson this rebuild? I think they're a lot closer because I think the the this the floor on Tatum's career was way way higher than Jackson you know and I don't even know if we realized that at the time but I do think there were legitimate red flags that that got ignored and you know I think it I think we've talked so much since we started doing this show about how Jackson should force us to maybe reconsider a lot of how we view the draft because he was he was seen as a pretty surefire guy no matter you know outside of phoenix inside of phoenix anywhere you looked and between his frame not adding to it the way that he needed to do that his jump shot which i think was sort of obvious as a negative but people thought he could overcome it because of all the other skills that he really never put together his his lack of dedication being so, sort of this hot shot guy throughout his life as as far as on the basketball court and, you know, the Kansas thing, I think that's something that we can't ignore. There's been so much evidence now over the years that these Kansas guys, something is not quite right about them with, the you know, a few exceptions. And those red flags, I think, were there at the time and we ignored them, whereas Tatum just came with a lot less of a, of a low floor. I think he was seen as the guy who, if nothing else, is going to be a pretty good scorer in the NBA has the NBA size and is going to be able to help your team win, even if no one expected him to be this sort of superstar. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And unfortunately for the Suns, they got the short end of the stick, as we now know with Josh Jackson, how it ended up after two years there. Tatum now is sending into, I think, a consensus all-star. Really, over the next few years, is going to be one of the top wings in the NBA, or in the Eastern Conference, excuse me, really over the next couple of years because of the way he's blossoming into his career. It would have been fun to see him in Phoenix, of course. But we're going to dive in into segment three of our show, talk about Robert Sarver and Ryan McDonough and how they looked at, because reportedly, uh, from what I know, at least Ryan McDonough and their staff really love Josh Jackson and also Robert Sarver, corner Earl Watson really was pushing for Josh Jackson over Jason Tatum. You know, Jason Tatum had a really magnificent workout and Jackson reportedly didn't for Earl Watson. So we're going to dive into that more in the next time. Before we do so, I want to remind you guys about another sponsor today's show, which is Blinkist. It's hard to find time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, though, you can't read or work on personal development. There's an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it, and it's called Blinkist for you guys. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser, and it takes the best key takeaways and needed information from thousands of nonfiction books and can sit down to just 15 minutes they can read or listen to. It's almost like the spark notes of books nowadays, and it really saves you a lot of time. And overall, I really like using Blinkist as well. I know Brent's talked about it as well. With the way it's just so versatile, you're able to get stuff done in 15 minutes or in a couple hours. It really helps you just go along the way and make a lot of things easier for you, whether you're driving the car, traveling, making breakfast, working out, or you're at the gym or currently not the gym, so to say. I guess you have your home gym right now, what's going on with the coronavirus. It really helps you out and really brings out a lot of the book where you don't have to really skip, sift through a lot of the unnecessary information. So I highly recommend using Blinkist. We have a lot of popular non-titled books in here and a lot of different categories like psychology, biographies, memoirs, management, leadership, career success, and so much more. With, I want to tell you guys as well, before I let you go on this segment about Blinkist, to go ahead and go over to Blinkist.com slash MBA and try our free seven-day offer and save 20, 25% off your new subscription. Again, that is Blinkist.com, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T.com slash MBA. Start a free seven-day trial and you'll save 25, 25% off. The only way to stop at Blinkist.com slash MBA. One more time for you guys, Blinkist.com 
slash NBA. All right, Brad, let's dive in now to our final segment of the show and more interesting stuff that's just come out about this Jason Tatum angle and what Earl Watson reportedly said as well. I saw in Arizona sports today where it just seems like Earl was all in on Jason Tatum, but everyone else in the front offices, maybe this is why the schism happened with Watson and the front office where it just seemed like everyone else was in a different direction. And it seemed like there's not really any sort of cohesiveness for what they want to do in that draft class. For sure. You know, he, he did an interview with Jay King of the athletic Watson did saying, uh, you know, <clears throat> he's in these meetings basically saying like, we got to move up for Tatum. The Celtics want him. He says he thought that the combination of he and Booker made a lot of sense. He said, I think a combination like that right now would have been completely different than anything in the NBA at their age. And basically goes on to say that by his memory, Sarver said, we do not need another Devin Booker. He thought that Tatum's skills were too similar to Booker's skills. And that led them to go to Jackson. Um, I just, I, I, we know we, we do our best. I think we're pretty fair about criticizing Sarver when we need to. He's obviously not going to come out and do an interview about something that happened three and a half years or I get three years ago. He did, you know, kind of I, reading between the lines, he sent Gambo out there to to deny it. I think that's what, what's happening right now. John Gambadoro basically said this is kind of not true. On and on. You know, everybody has their side, like you said. It's just hard to to think that for one reason or another, they did think Tatum was not the right guy for them, right? They let him go for, you know, they didn't make the push. They didn't navigate that situation by, you know, threatening a Boston. We're going to move up now. You know, we're going to call Philly and offer such and such. We want Tatum. They could have gone down that and they didn't. The idea that you don't want another wing scorer, like a wing, an elite wing playmaker. No, we only need one. We don't want two. It's sort of the same, the same thing that they, that they got trapped with, I think in 2018 with Luka Doncic. They, I think that there was a line of thinking that you know, we already have a, a two-guard, small forward t- sort of player who can handle the ball and shoot and score. We don't need another one of those. And to me, it's just so crazy to think that you could look at the NBA right now and think, no, you know, the Miami Heat with Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, that's, that's working too well. We're going to try. We're going to pivot. We're going to zag. It, it is really silly if it did play out this way. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And it goes to show you, we discussed this a week or two ago, so like philosophy and NBA, I feel like you should always go best player available over just trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And I think that's what they're trying to do with Josh Jackson. Of course, his, his fit on paper was supposed to be great with them, Booker. You have the Swiss Army Knife capabilities. He can be a playmaker, a versatile defender, and a scorer. But as we know, he was more of a shot chucker in the NBA. Really did not fit his pre-draft profile at all, which I really found it interesting myself. And I know you talk about it a lot, Brian, over the years, because like you mentioned, it's really helped us change our, think- our thinking about NBA draft prospects and how they should project the NBA moving forward. And it really makes you wonder just why you would, of course, the Suns need defense, but you project defense to winning more games in today's NBA over offense. I just feel like that's really tough making on mine because you always need more scoring in the NBA, whether it's a guy who gives you 15 points or 20, like that's a lot better than the guy who gives you a couple of steals per game, in my opinion. Exactly. And I think like the, you asked like, would they be closer to their ultimate goal of building a, a young championship type of core if they had gone with Tatum? 
over Jackson. And I think he, like you look at what happened this year and they still needed scoring, right? Like that was, that was like secondary scoring a consistent number two playmaker on this team is still three years after this draft where they felt like they needed a defense kind of team player type of guy over another scorer. They still haven't been able to replace or not even replace uncover in any way a consistent secondary scorer. So the idea that in you know three years ago they didn't need it, it looks even more silly because of how hard of a time they've had finding a player like that in the three years since. They really never targeted a player like that to compliment Booker. It seems like they basically sawed Booker. Okay, scoring, check. We've got our guy. Here's how we need to fill the rest of the team out. Big man, wing defender, you know, these these two power forwards who can shoot and and do all these things. And and they it was it was too puzzle and not enough just like let's get talent, you know what I mean? And it, it really starts to become stark as we make our way with distance from all of these drafts, looking at how much they really tried to put together a roster at this super, super micro level. And it really seems silly when you look at it. I'm not trying to pour more salt in the wound of Ryan McDonough because he, he now I think he's still getting paid by the sun. There might have expired this upcoming July here because he was fired two years up on his contract there. But I really believe when you look at McDonough's board from that 2017 draft, from what I personally know, it was Lonzo ball number one, Mark Hill Fultz two, and then Josh Jackson three. It just, I know McDonough and we talked this before earlier in the week or last week, as far as, Guys like Dragon Bender, Josh Jackson were consensus top five picks. And really, there's no blaming McDonough for what he did because those guys were supposed to hit. And unfortunately, it didn't in the environment they were placed in. But I, I think it's just another really negative mark on McDonough because he wasn't able to see the potential of Tatum. He went with the more he thought sure thing over the potential. And I think that's what got him in trouble in the end. I think it's the one thing that I, I do sort of try to push back on with the McDonough thing because I. You know, nobody really likes Ryan McDonough, I think, in the Suns fan base at this point. Um, I think there are people who still ultimately see Sarver as the bigger issue with why this rebuild didn't get off the the tarmac. And, you know, what's what the reality of the situation is, having spoken to McDonough like we have and reporting all through the years, he was no ace scout by the time he became a GM either. And I think that's sort of what gets lost here. I think people are, are very quick to criticize his trades, the Marquise Chris situation, um, obviously the 2015 trade deadline where he has to get rid of Dragic and Isaiah Thomas, uh, a whole bunch of signing Tyson Chandler for no reason. There's a whole bunch of transactions that he messed up. I think people kind of assume sometimes that the draft stuff was, oh, that was just Sarver meddling and, and McDonough never got his way. I think you and I both know for pretty certain that if the Suns had had the number two pick in 2018 and Aiton went first, they probably would be picking Bagley. And that would be a stupid draft pick, right? Like, uh, it, this wasn't a, a matter of Sarver just stomping into the decision room every every year in June and saying, here's what's happening, and McDonough just sort of folding. They were They were not a good fit together, I think, in that in that front office but I also think you know McDonough saw things incorrectly when it came to the draft and you know this is an example I think you know Earl Watson being sort of the the messenger here makes it a little bit 
more screwy because Watson was by no means a an, an ace coach. Like this, this is a, a whole bunch of people who screwed up a whole bunch of times, sort of going back and forth. I feel like Tatum's the only guy who looks smart here, which makes sense because he's the one telling the story. Um, but you know, he ends up in Boston and it looks really good for him. He had to have Coach K convince him to do it, which was really, you know, thanks Coach K, really big time on, on Tatum's part. But, you know, I think in this situation, pretty much everybody involved on the Sun side made some mistakes. Yeah, I would certainly agree there. And I think one last point I wanted to hit on, and this is just a funny part I saw in the Arizona sports story. I and mean, like you mentioned from Jay King via The Athletic, that Earl Watson mentioned his story that, Tatum made I reportedly 40 straight threes. I don't know if I believe that or not, but he had an amazing workout and all of a sudden Robert Sarver stops the workout, steps in the court and says, can you do anything else? Well, I just, I just found that interesting. And like, maybe it's sort of like why they were like, like you mentioned earlier in the show, Brennan, we have scoring covered. Can you at least give us something else? And I think that was just flawed thinking. Yeah, it's silly. You know, I don't, I don't really, I think this is just great evidence. If it's some version of this, I think, is pretty true. What does Watson have to lose from telling the truth here, right? Like, why would he be holding back right now? He hasn't even been able to get another head coaching job, um, let alone worrying about what in the world the Suns guys think of him. So I, I do tend to believe his version of events, even if I think he, you know, I don't really know what he's trying to prove here. It just goes to show big time that an own, like the draft and, and like, detail-oriented, like really, really specific, high-stakes player evaluation, talent evaluation is the last thing any owner should be doing, right? Like, yes, okay, Mark Cuban and Jerry Jones maybe are two of the most notable examples here, but Robert Sarver coming out there and trying to micromanage a, a draft workout is just a really bad look. I hope that's not, for the sun's sake, the reason that it worked out this way, but it kind of seems like that's that's he's the end he's the end all be all decision maker right and and he if he wanted Tatum they could have made that happen and they didn't and so I do think like Sarver and McDonough here seem to be the two that that really screwed this up. Brent, anything else you want to hit on as far as today's episode goes? I know this happened last night, so we appreciate all the smoke with Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson giving us a lot to chew on here. Yeah, who would have thought a an interview from guy who played for the Clippers and a guy who played for the Spurs and the Pacers and they're interviewing a Celtic and somehow we get like two days of Suns news out of it. That's pretty, pretty lucky on our part. Hope you guys enjoyed the show, but yeah, no, nothing else from me. I hope we, I hope we can stop having news cycles of how much the Suns screwed up their rebuild. That'd be nice. Yeah. Hopefully it's ascension instead of going back down the drain. So to say, I think the Suns so far this year proved that they're on the right track, but looking back on this decision, it definitely does Pour a little salt in the wound of that former regime. But I appreciate everyone listening on today's podcast here on Locked on Suns. We've got the guys on Friday for next episode.